Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. What we're going to study today is the ark. The ark that Noah made, that God commissioned, is a signal, not only for his day, but is a typology for our day as well. And as you recall, Noah built this ark, but he was also a preacher of righteousness for 120 years, telling people that this is going to go down. A flood is going to happen, and you have to get on the ark in order to be saved. And that picture of that is a picture of our last days. And Peter talked about this in Second Peter chapter 3. I want you to see this on the board. It says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. It's uniformitarianism. That's what was going on in Noah's day. For this they willfully, notice what it says, willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. What Peter was talking about is the great tribulation. So Noah's flood is likened to the flood or wrath of God that will happen in the tribulation. The two are parallel with each other. So what was going on in Noah's day is happening in our day. They were scoffing at Noah, mocking him. You know, where is this water that you say is coming? They mocked him about that, but it eventually came, didn't it? And it destroyed them. And eventually the tribulation is going to come, and we're watching things develop right in front of our very eyes that are signaling we're getting close, very, very close. That being the case, what I want you to have in mind as we go through this, because I'm going to teach this from a different perspective, not from the Sunday school lesson you've always heard. I'm going to teach it with typology in mind. I'm going to teach it with the prophetic view in mind. I'm also going to teach it from an applicational standpoint as well. You should have received, as you walked in today, the Ark's typology of the Messiah. Okay? I'm going to hit every point in this as I go through the lesson today. So what you can do is kind of study this on your own, but make sure you have this because this is the insight you really need to understand the Ark and what it signifies. It is definitely a picture of Jesus, a picture of the Messiah, and all that the Messiah will do. So this will be something that most people have never heard of, but what you have to understand is in the Old Testament, there are typologies. I'm also going to get into archaeology with the ark a little bit and show you some major findings about the ark and some interesting things that have developed in Turkey, and I'll explore that a little bit. But one of the things you want to understand in relation to the ark. The ark is a picture of the Messiah, okay? That's the first and foremost thing you have to understand. And what you see is, how many arks are there? One. How many messiahs are there? One, okay? The ark was planned in advance by God and Noah was to build it. That is a picture of the Holy Spirit preparing the body of the Messiah. As he prepared the body of Messiah in Mary's womb, so was the ark prepared as well. 
So in a lot of ways, you can look at the typology of Noah being like the Holy Spirit because he's the one who carried out the preparations for it. The Holy Spirit prepared the body of the Messiah. There was 120 years of offering grace to people to be able to get on the ark. Now, we're living in the last days. The last days started basically World War I. Jesus used a phrase, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And that is a Hebraism or Jewish idiom for world war. And Jesus told the disciples in the Olivet Discourse, when you see world war, nation rise against nation, that's a signal that the last days have begun. Now, how long those go, we don't know. But we've been in the last days since World War I, if we're to interpret that correctly from the Jewish perspective. Now, that means that we're close. You know, in the 1500s, 1000 AD, basically they weren't. So now we're close since we've seen World War. So salvation has a limit on it as far as the time element when it's offered. And right now, you and I are like Noah, offering salvation before the great flood or before the great tribulation. And that's the work we're supposed to be doing. A fourth note I want to note is this. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We talked about that last week. And that's what people can find now. They can find grace in believing in Messiah. God will offer that free gift of salvation and give them that grace of salvation and escape the coming judgment. Just as Noah's day, they could have escaped the coming judgment of the flood by going and believing in what Noah was saying and then entering into the ark. People can believe in the Messiah, enter into him and be in Christ and be raptured prior to the great tribulation and be saved in of Christ the Messiah. So there's a lot of parallels we want to see. And again, everything's on your list. I'm going to cover everything that's on this list in the sermon. So I'll touch on those other aspects as well as we go through it. So let's start in verse 14. And the title of today's message is Finding a Place of Peace and Security. And why I state that is because on a human level, we're looking for peace and security. That is actually a hallmark that will be said in the last days, according to 1 Thessalonians, that when they say peace and security or peace and safety, then sudden destruction finds them. So people are looking for it. It's a hallmark of what even politicians say today. And even on a personal level, we're looking for it. But the world is looking in all the wrong places for peace and security. The peace and security is only found in Christ. And that's the message of the ark. The application I want you to understand is... Its point is, this is the place of protection. The ark is a place of protection. Jesus is a place of protection. We'll talk more about that in the application. But let's start in verse and look at the first verse. It says, make yourself an ark or uh, what we call it, teva, or what we consider, translate that as a box or a barge kind of boat. And so he gets this instruction and... Noah starts to work on it. This was a major undertaking for Noah. He had 120 years to build this thing. It has three levels. The Ark Encounter back east, I can't remember what state it's in, did an incredible job of trying to remake something similar to what the Ark looked like. Major barge, very seaworthy, and it was something to this parallel of what this looks like. They have a full replica of the size and the shape of the Ark. Well, that being the case... Believe it or not, when you, we'll, you'll see the, the size and shape of it. But it's interesting that 
people who are who study uh, ship making and and ship research, like the center called Criso, K R I S O, have looked at this, have looked at how it was built, and have concluded. Uh, this is Dr. Sion Hung uh, of, of Criso, have concluded several things about this shape. I want to note this for you from a sailing vessel. This is not a children's story where you have giraffes and elephants sticking their head out of the window. You know, as you typically see it in children's books. This was a major sea vessel. And the proportions... Give it complete stability. This thing, according to its shape, is unsinkable. It virtually can withstand 100-foot waves. This is incredible. And Dr. Hung has studied this. He's not even a believer. And he says, we find that if we tinker or alter with the shape and the size and the width and the height, the instant we do that, we get an unstable vessel, it's prone to fracture, and it becomes very dangerous and sinkable. So the calculations for what God gave Noah, Noah had to keep to those calculations. If he kept to those calculations, it's virtually unsinkable. Isn't that amazing? And if you just tinker with it a little bit, it throws it all off. It talks to you about the precision of God, and Noah followed it exactly as it was supposed to be built which is incredible. I have another graph. It's a a triangle. And this is what they use to show that you have vessels that are maximum stability, vessels that are maximum comfort, and maximum strength on this triangle. This is how they look at the seaworthiness of a vessel. Noah's is right in the middle. Perfect. Maximum comfort, maximum stability, maximum strength. Unbelievable. And they cannot figure out for the life of them how a guy would have developed something like this. How would he have known this? Well, it's simple. God gave him the, the, the way to make it. They won't, they won't give that credit to God. But does God know how to make a boat? Yeah, he knows how to make a boat. I think it's that easy. You know, if he's going to make a boat, this is what's going to work. And anyway, interesting enough about this vessel, it's not to be sailed. It's, it, you can't aim it. It's intended to float. And it's intended, in a spiritual sense, to go where providence guides it. Noah had no capabilities of guiding the ark. He had to trust God and God guiding the ark. And so he's on board and his family's on board and the animals And that's a spiritual lesson we need to understand. If Christ is the ark, and he is, once you come into faith in him and you enter into his body in Christ, you're not in charge of your life anymore. You submit yourself to the Messiah and you allow him to guide your life and navigate. Because you're taking your hands off the rudder. You're taking your hands off the steering wheel at that point. You're saying, Christ, I need you to guide my life. And that's a picture of the ark. Humans had no ability to guide it other than God. And where did God plant that thing? Eventually planted it on a mountain and put it precisely in the area of the earth that he wanted it to be. And we'll talk more about that area in Turkey in just a bit. 
But that's the spiritual le- one of the spiritual lessons we have to learn. We surrender our navigation of our lives to Jesus and say, he knows best. He knows what's best for me, what's best for my family, and what's best for my kids. Interesting, there's another typology of another ark. It's a lot smaller, but the same term is used and the same concept is used and has to do with Moses. This is the other ark mentioned in the Bible. This ark, it was sealed by Moses' mom, and it was cast into the Nile. And who had to control it? Moses couldn't control it. He was just a baby. Who controlled it? God did. And God got it over to Pharaoh's daughter, didn't it? Perfectly providential. God guided it to there where she found him and raised him. And he learned knowledge of the Egyptians and things of that nature. But that's the second ark typology, and it includes Moses in it. It's very interesting, these parallels. Another ark will pop up later on. Do you know what ark that is? The ark of the covenant. Constant boxes. Boxes that hold very precious things inside. But the ark is provided by God. If you look at the ark of the tabernacle, it's a picture of Messiah. The ark lid is where the blood would be, be put upon, right? And that was basically where the Shekinah glory was over. So when you connect all these dots, God has a common theme going on. That these, these arcs that he makes and has people create point to Messiah, point to Jesus. They all do. And the ark of the covenant, the biggest thing you can see there is the blood. And then what's inside of the ark? Broken commandments of human commandments. And, and then you have the, the staff in there that budded. It's an almond staff that budded. It's a symbol of resurrection. And then you have the pot of manna inside of it, which is a symbol of provision that the Messiah gives. Manna was bread from heaven. Jesus called himself the bread of life. He is the bread from heaven, right? So it's all the typologies pictured in these arcs pointing to Messiah. Notice the um, next scripture. It's made of gopher wood. And you think, I've never heard of gopher wood. Good. It's not a real wood. What it is, that's a transliteration of the Hebrew. And the Hebrew word does not mean gopher wood. It is wood, no doubt about it. But the wood is what we would call laminated wood laminated wood. That's how you properly translate the Hebrew. It's a laminated wood. Now, you might say, well, there's a typology of this. Yeah, absolutely. The typology that points to Christ. What was Christ crucified on? Wood. A tree. What's the ark made out of? Wood. You will see the theme of wood carried all through the Bible, and the theme of a tree will be carried all through the Bible. So, it's, it's, it's laminated. Now, I want you to think about this. It's not just wood that water would hit. There's a resin on it, and we'll, we'll see the resin in a little bit later, called pitch. I'll explain this in a little bit. But that resin is what keeps it waterproof inside and out. We'll talk more about this in just a bit. Let me show you some pictures. This is in Turkey, and this is the area of Mount Ararat. Mount Ararat's the highest mountain peak there, but obviously there's a range of mountains there. It is on this area that I want you to focus your attention. Uh, and I don't know if I can pronounce this right. It's Dura 
Duraplanar. Duraplanar. And uh, in this area, they have found evidence of certain things. Let me show you another graphic so you can see what's underlying this. Under, so here's Mount Ararat, and then there's a young volcano right there, which is close to where we think the ark is. The, there's a lava flow layer that goes right underneath it, and then there's flood sediments all underneath this whole area. So apparently the, you had the flood sediments, and then you have a volcanic activity, which was happening during Noah's flood, volcanic activity. And then you have the top layer as well, where Noah's ark came to rest. And let me show you some other pictures. In Turkey, this is the thing they found. And uh, the year that this got exposed, this is weird. The year that that was exposed was 1948. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? 1948 is when Israel became a nation again. They had a major storm. This was uncovered. Now you think, well, that, that just, you know, atheists and skeptics say, ah, that's just, that's just a rock formation. No, 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 it's not a rock formation. No, 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 no. When it, it got investigated, there's a lot more going on. Now, the secular archaeologists don't like to admit it, but the evidence is overwhelming that there, this is a man-made boat by the way, the dimensions are the same as the ark in the Bible. Same dimensions, by the way. That's what caught their attention, that it's in a boat shape. What they have found, and you can see kind of the situation here, and you can see it from a long way. What they have discovered is Noah's ark has three decks. The top decks, first and second, collapsed on the third. Okay? Just, you know, because it's old and things of that nature. So they find three decks smacked on each other in this, this area. And uh, again, more pictures as you can see from different angles. That whole ridge right here, it's not just dirt. There's petrified wood spines going through it. So basically, then you have an outline. You have the rib timbers on the sides. That up there, you see the door opening? How many doors did Noah's Ark have? One. It's on the side right there. You have a pointed bow. Just like the Ark Encounter made a pointed bow, and you have the length, the biblical length is 515 feet based off the common cubic uh, measurement, which we found with the Egyptians was about over, just a little over 20 inches, is a royal cubit. The Hebrews had an 18-inch cubit, but this is before Israel existed, remember. So the common cubit during that time was 20 inches. Well, According to that, you put it in feet, it's 515 feet. That's the exact length of the boat that they found there. Basically, from a top view, you're looking at this. You have a boat structure that looks like this and kind of a pointed top. You have an open door there, but it also looks something slammed into that side. Okay, so what archaeologists have been able to do is they took metal detectors and they took the surround and they found metal all over the place. When they did the metal mapping of the metal, it's not just dirt. They found rivets and metal all through, and they marked it out in the lines. So what you're seeing are the lines of the metal in the structure. So it's not just simply petrified wood, nor is it, uh, you know, just mud or anything. Why does it have metal in this structure? It looks like if this is Noah's boat, he had metal rivets going through it, connecting the wood. 
This is what they find out from metal detectors. I want you to see that. You think, what is that? Notice the hole in the top. Most people think that, well, that's an anchor. These things are all over the site in the area. Now, Christians apparently went to this site and early on, and they knew this was the site of, of Noah's Ark, and they engraved crosses all over it. There is actually two graves there, and they think the graves are Noah and his wife, and they have Christian symbols on it because there, there's grave markers there. Anyway, these things, it looks like an anchor, but it's not. It's called a drogue, a drogue, and drogues are put on these barges to keep them stable. So let me show you another picture. If you had Noah's Ark, to keep it stable, it, I mean, these drogues are, are, they're not anchors. They're there on the bottom of the ark hanging to keep it stabilized. These drogues are everywhere in the area with big holes in them. And what would happen is you string the rope through it, and then when the rope hit the water, it would swell with a knot in it, and it would keep it from the, the rock from slipping out. And there's another picture of drogues. That's what they're used for to keep barges stable. So uh, here's another picture of a drogue, and they're all over the place, and then they have Christian symbols all over it. And they put crosses on them and things of that nature. Why in this area are there a bunch of drogues? It's weird, huh? I think you know why. I'll show you another picture. These are the metal rivets that are found in the area. Metal rivets, seriously, man. And this is why realizing that Noah had, had metallurgy abilities. Well, these rivets are found. By the way, Jim Irwin, they are, remember the astronaut Jim Irwin? Do you remember him? He did a lot of expeditions over there, found these metal rivets, and sent him to a lab here in, uh, I think it was Los Alamos lab, and they tested it. They tested this metal. Guess what it's made out of? 41% titanium, 42% manganese. There is no iron. A certain percentage, I think 7% aluminum, 10 and zinc. Now, wait a second. You're expecting for me to say iron, but there's no iron. And this has got to baffle archaeologists because we have not been able to figure out how to make titanium until the 20th century. How are metal rivets found in this area with metals we've only just discovered to make now? Because like I told you, if you go before the days of Noah, they had incredible technology. The Benaha Elohim, the sons of God, were sharing information to humans in trade for their, their daughters to marry, which produced the Nephilim. But that information gave them metallurgy techniques. That metallurgy techniques was already known in that, in that pre-flood world, and Noah knew it. And he used metal titanium. Noah was using titanium to keep the ark together. We've only discovered titanium just recently and how to make it. How did he know how to make it? How did archaeologists explain this? It's fascinating, unbelievable. Show you some other pictures. These are the ribs on the side. 
that's petrified wood. It, it's it's all, obviously mud that's, that's, that's become hard, but the, there's petrified wood, and you can see the ribs on the side of the vessel. And here's some more pictures of the ribs. You see the ribs? It's very distinct. It's not rock. It's petrified wood in the area. And they stick out sometimes like that. This is a piece of the wood. This is fascinating. It is petrified wood. They've obviously done some cuttings, but let's go to, do I have a cross-section of it? Yeah, there's the cross-section. What you're seeing is there are three pieces of wood actually put together. It's petrified. But when they cut it out, they figured out that these things have been glued together by a resin, which is pitch. We would consider pitch. Which pitch is basically a resin from a tree, like a sap. And the resin is seen, like when they push the boards together, you can see where the resin pushed out of the gaps when they stuck them together. So a lot of the wood, the three-layered piece that has been laminated by the resin. The resin's all through it, which protects the ark and makes it waterproof. Somehow Noah knew how to do this. He, he obviously, when he, when he covered with, with pitch, that's what he laminated the wood with to make it uns- basically watertight. Isn't that amazing? Let's go back to the text. I'll show you some more. Make rooms in the ark. This is fascinating. The Hebrew word is nests. Make nests. Like a bird nest. And obviously... We have a picture of the ark, you know, in model form, and you can see similar nests for the different animals there. This is in the ark encounter, and they show you actually how these nests were built. Just, again, theory, but uh, each animal or animal structure had these nests that uh, the ark held. You can see the different compartments. And yes, he had dinosaurs on them, by the way. He would have put dinosaurs, juveniles, but he would have put dinosaurs. Dinosaurs existed with man. They were, meat, they were not meat eaters until after the flood. They were plant eaters. All animals were plant eaters. What's the typology about the nests? Well, the typology with the nests is what Jesus said in John 14. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, just like the nests in the ark. Jesus is the ark, and he tells us there's many places for you in the new Jerusalem. You see the parallel? Just like in the ark, there's plenty of places. There's plenty of space. I have a nest just for you, which is a picture of the new Jerusalem. Amazing, isn't it? And so there, there is uh, pictures of, you know, the nest, the birds, everything that they had. Now, let's go back to the text. And it says, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Like I said, it's a sap that laminates the wood and protects the wood from water. But interesting enough, that laminate resin that he used preserved the wood to this day. It petrified, but the wood still exists because it was covered inside and out with this resin. Okay, what's the typology for the resin? Because there's got to be something that points to Christ about the resin. Yes. The Hebrew word for pitch 
is kafar. Do you know what kafar means? It means covering. It means atonement. Wait a second. In Romans 4, 7, it says that Christ's blood covers us. Oh, I got it. The resin of the ark that covers the ark inside and outside and protects the inhabitants of the ark is based on Messiah's blood. Amazing. And Paul uses that terminology that his blood covers us in atonement, the kafar. There's always a spiritual dynamic in every point of this. It's amazing. Interesting enough, I think we have some pictures of there's There's the more petrified wood. This is interesting. It fascinates me. In looking at the wood, there are no tree rings. No tree rings in the wood. And you think, well, I don't know what you're talking about because I'm not a botanist. Well, neither am I, but this is fascinating. I had to research this. Why doesn't the wood have tree rings? Because every tree you cut down has tree rings in it today. Because trees now, because of our seasons, go through cycles. So a tree ring will form when there's less sap, and the tree goes into hibernation in the winter, and then it comes back out, and the sap revives the tree in the springtime. Then you go through summer, and droughts can cause tree rings. Uh, And so you can tell now the age of a tree by the tree rings because of the four seasons that we have. No tree rings before the flood. Perfect. You know what that means? Exactly what God said it meant. God said, I will water the earth through a mist. So we didn't, they didn't have rain before. There was no seasons before Noah's flood. It was a, an environment that was completely stable, constant water. And so the trees never went into hibernation. They didn't have to. When you study these trees, They just grow and grow and grow with no tree rings. So you don't even know how old they are because there's no tree rings in them because there was no weather patterns until after Noah's flood. It perfectly makes sense. The weather that Adam and Eve experienced or all pre-flood inhabitants was a fairly mild climate with no change in the weather ever. It never rained. It never got cold. It never got extremely hot. It was a perfectly temperate environment and thus There's no tree rings on this wood. Isn't that crazy? Wow. It was intended to be preserved and for us to know this. Verse 15. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width, 50 cubits, and it's height, 30 cubits. And like I told you, these are perfect dimensions for not being able to be capsized. And you can see the dimensions there. Let me show you a few pictures how big this thing is. So there's a nuclear submarine behind it. There's an airplane. There's a football field. And there's a house behind it. That's how large this thing was, this barge. Unsinkable. Absolutely amazing. And there's some other pictures as you can com- compare. Uh, obviously bigger than the Santa Maria and the Wyoming. But you can see the size of the Titanic in comparison and the Queen Mary in comparison. And again... The dimensions are absolutely perfect. You can't sink this thing. Just It's astounding. The size of this, as you can see it in comparison to other things, but I want you to think about this. And I know it gets into math, but you have to know this. It's a 1,500,000 cubic feet. It's 95,700 square feet. 
It can carry 43,000 tons, 550 livestock cars, like on the back of a train. And if you put sheep in it, just sheep alone, it could contain 130,000 sheep inside of it. It is massive. So when you think about what well, the animals that God brought to the ark and what he did, it can easily house them and more. And it could house humans as well. So this thing is capable of handling exactly what Genesis says came. Verse 16, you shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it to a cubit from above. So basically about 20 inches. We believe that this window encircled the top the top layer on the top deck for ventilation and for light. But what's the spiritual component as you look to Christ to complete this? Interesting, fascinating. When you looked out of the window in the ark, the only place you could look is up. You could not look down. What is that saying? What's the message? He was focusing Noah and his family, focus on me, don't focus on the circumstances and the floodwaters uh, underneath you. Don't focus on how bad things are here down below. Focus on me, I'll get you through this. You know that principle. We're going to keep our eyes on Jesus, not on our circumstances, not on anything else. Remember Peter? He he walked out to Jesus on the water, and as long as Jesus kept focused on Jesus, uh, Peter kept focused on Jesus, he walked. The minute he looked at the waves and the wind and the water below him, sunk. It's the same principle. The ark forced them to look up physically. They could, they could not see below them. And that's the spiritual lesson even with the window. And by the way, it was one window that encircled the whole thing. One window. And it says this, and set the door of the ark in its side. One door to get into that thing. There's no other doors. You had to go through the one door. What did Jesus say he was? I am the door. Right? I am the door. So one door. Notice the positioning of the door is. Where is the door at? On the side. Why that? What did the Roman soldiers do to confirm that Jesus had died? They pierced his side, did they not? And then the outflow of blood and water came. What did that signify? That Messiah truly was dead. Why is that theologically important? Because in order to fulfill and make the atonement, Messiah must die. He can't have swooned and and passed out and then get revived in, in a tomb. He had to die to pay our penalty. So the side represents the side of the Messiah, the one door, Messiah himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the side represents Messiah truly will die. It's a picture of Messiah, man. It's amazing to see that. And it says, you shall make it with a lower, second, and third decks. Three decks? What do you think that symbolizes? The Trinity. All three members of the Trinity are involved in salvation. Messiah, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerates you. God the Father is the one who planned for salvation, gave the, uh, you know, the, the message to Noah, and God the Son made salvation available by his sacrifice. So all three persons of the Trinity are involved in salvation. And behold, 
I myself am bringing floodwaters, which is the Hebrew word ha-mabul, on the earth. So God's doing this. God's going to bring this flood. And just like in the future, God is going to bring the tribulation and judgment. So God is enacting this. But he's making provision through this ark. Just as God now has made provision through Jesus Christ. You can avoid the wrath of God by the ark of the Son. And it says, to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But yet the provision is like Noah. If you believe, I will rescue you. Jesus told the Pharisees this. If you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. If you don't, you will die in your sins. You will die in the flood water of wrath because of your sins. So it's a, a parallel to this. But look what he says in verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you, tells Noah. So the idea, we'll look at this in Genesis 9, but it's called the Noahic Covenant. And because Noah believed God, he's going to be uh, made a covenant with him, and, and we'll see that flush out. But this new covenant, this Noahic Covenant, is a new beginning. Noah will be like a second Adam. Who is the real second Adam? It's Messiah, right? Noah will be like a second Adam. A new beginning will happen, Okay. Now, in the new covenant, the new covenant called the new covenant obviously represents a new beginning. And that new covenant was put into effect by the death of the Messiah and hence provides a new beginning for you and I in our spiritual walk. So it's all paralleling. And it says, and you shall go into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your son's wives with you. And of every living thing of the flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing uh, of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. Notice this. God's going to bring the animals to Noah. Noah didn't have to go out and hunt them or anything like that. God will bring them to Noah and bring them to the ark. And, and supernaturally, he can do things like that. But again, it's for coming into the ark for protection. And they're going to be kept by the power of God there. And this really is an invitation to anybody who wants to come into the ark. The term come is being used. What did Jesus say? Come, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you Noah. In the Hebrew, rest means Noah. Come. Just like the animals, the, the term come, it, Messiah was using terminology from Noah's day. They will come to you. Come all to me, and I will give you Noah rest, life eternal. Verse 21, and you shall take for yourself all the food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. So here's his responsibility. I'm going to bring the animals to you, but you got to gather enough food for them and you to eat. Now, they were all vegetarian, so there's no meat he has to worry about. So all of its grains and different things. By the way, in the archaeological remains, they find all kinds of grains in that area. It's amazing, the plant life. It's obvious that civilizations had to start again from this area. Do you know what they find at botanists that most of the plants derive from this area? In fact, 
in Turkey, there are plants that only grow in Turkey. Even grapes that wouldn't do well in northern Turkey actually have adapted and do very well in that area. And so we find most of the plant life can grow in Turkey. For some apparent reason, it's a weird deal. And obviously, I think it came from the seeds that Noah had and this plants he had and things like that. But it only grows in there, and then obviously it's spread out. But it's amazing that Turkey can grow almost everything. It's weird. Supernatural, I think. And anyway, so Noah's responsibility is you got to make the money and to provide for the, uh, not, not make the money, but make, the, make the, the effort to go out, get these plants, and provide for the animals and yourself. What is that signal? Well, hey, all you have to do is go into the ark and you're saved. But then you have a responsibility. Once you are saved, your responsibility is to gather all you can for discipleship. You have to grow. You have to be able to feed yourself. You have to be able, and what do we feed on? The word of God is our food. It's a picture of us taking responsibility for our spiritual walk with the Lord and growing by eating the spiritual food that is provided. But you have to go out and get it. You have to go out and study. You have to go listen to podcasts, those things, and feed yourself and your family. It's the same parallel. You're responsible, Noah. And thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him. And so he did. So basically, despite all the opposition, despite the mocking, the ridiculing, the reproach that Noah got, he did what he was supposed to do, and he followed the Lord in faith. It saved him and his family. And it's no different than today. You and I are in Noah's position right now. We are warning the culture, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. We're all going to disappear, and you're going to be left behind to deal with the Antichrist. It's all going to happen, and then also you're going to have to deal with the judgment of God. And what do they think? Ha, huh, you're crazy. You're nuts. Hey, everything has went on as, as always. This tribulation, you guys are nuts. And we even get it from Christians. They should know better. They're mocking prophecy, mocking just like they did to Noah. Look at this sign I found as they mocked the ark encounter. Genocide in Incest Park, celebrating 2,000 years of myths. Counter event info, tri state free thinkers, atheistic group, right? And this is what they mocked, even the ark encounter back east with billboards around that place, okay? So the same thing's happening today, right? It hasn't changed. The mockers are there. But you know what? Noah just kept fighting through it. He didn't care. It says he did what the Lord commanded to him. And that's what we're to do. Make a point of application here about the peace and security of the ark and the peace and security of the Messiah, right? That it points to. The world will look for peace and security outside, the, the global government, and that's why they said in Thessalonians that they, they, they will finally achieve what they for, right? And it won't be because sudden destruction will come upon them. You know that true peace and security is found in the Messiah and Him only. It took me a long time to figure that out, even as a Christian. For some reason, it was a gap in my game early on. I got saved when I was 19, but let me explain this for you. I grew up as an unbeliever, Okay. And so what I automatically did is start looking for peace and security in this world. 
I started looking for the high ground where people couldn't be mean to me, where pray above the bad things happening in the world. Not that I could say this, but I intuitively did this, you know, and I was looking for safety. And what I did is I gravitated to things I thought would give me safety. And I found those things were empty and didn't give me safety. But people, as you know, gravitate to safety with money, people, places, living in the right area, positions and work, seasons of life. Well, when I get to retirement, then I'll have peace and safety. Or people just simply check out of reality and check out because they can't find it. I went towards being successful in life as a form of safety for me. That's why I made the decisions I made and did what I did. And I thought success meant safety. Success will keep me above it all. And what I found out is a rude awakening that was a counterfeit peace and safety. It didn't exist. And what I found out was God showed me your only way you're going to find peace and safety is with me. There is no other place on planet Earth that has peace and safety. Your family, your position, your job, whatever you're looking for, it's not there. It will actually leave you vulnerable and in a risked position. Most people fool themselves thinking they have peace and safety, whether money or whatever, but it's not real. So God actually showed me this, and he says, no, I know you're afraid of the trenches of life. I know you're afraid of reality. I know you don't want to see how bad it is. I know you, want, you don't want to accept the fall. You don't want to know that people do bad things to other people. I know you don't want to think like that. But I'm going to force you into reality to understand you can't look in these other places. You never can get above it all. You never can reach the high ground in this life. The high ground's with Jesus. That's it. And that was a rude awakening. And because I struggled over that, I wrestled with God through my 20s and 30s thinking like that. And God eventually showed me, no, it's not there. The ark is a picture of our peace and security through Jesus. And that's it. And if until you make that decision to quit looking for peace and security here, oh, my life will get you better here. It won't. I hate to tell you. I hate to be a negative Nelly. But life is not getting any easier the longer you live, is it? I don't know very many people whose lives are getting easier. Hey, Brandon, how's things going? Oh, man, it's perfect. No one ever tells me that. They say, hey, man, I got this guy going, that, this happening, this going on. Man, pray for me. It, that's, that's the common thing, right? Because this life can't produce anything. What I'm supposed to be looking for, the kind of life, the high ground I'm looking for, is not only in Jesus, but it's for the kingdom age. I'm supposed to look for the kingdom age when this is all made right. I'm going to tell you what, don't be like me. It took me two decades to figure this out. It seems simple to explain it, but I struggled with it. I had a hard time accepting the fall. I had a hard time accepting that people can be mean to people intentionally. I knew Hitler and Stalin could do that, but people I knew, people that are supposed to love me, yeah. Accept that reality, my friends, and then you will be free of the bondage of looking for security. And your life will radically change once you do that. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. 
For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.